Welcome to the Vineyard Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information on this podcast or other resources, go to vineyardlive.us. To learn more about us, go to thevineyardchurch.us. great memories are made while gathered around a kitchen table. And let's be real, our tables bear the marks of these memories, right? If I could show you a picture of my kitchen table right now, I would be embarrassed. In fact, I did take a picture and I decided not to show it because it's so, so terrible. Really, it has seen uh, many, many marks, many wear and tears from all of the children. You know, those meals that we make, moms, where you bring it to the table and your youngest, why is it always the youngest, by the way, gets to the table and they say, Ew, sick. I'm not eating that. No, just my kid? Great, I've got some parenting to do. Our tables host gatherings, large and small. They host the, the, all the Thanksgiving feasts and they host the dying of the Easter eggs, right? My table is so worn. I've had to recover my seats thanks to all the spills. <laughs> the table has hosted gatherings year after year after year. The table is the place we've done all the homework, especially during COVID. And it is the place where we've played board games. My favorite board game, by the way, which is Mastermind. If you have not played it, check it out. It's favorite. You look at my table, you'll also see the marks of a spa day gone awry, where yes, I did spill nail polish remover all over my wooden table. So it's really beautiful. Again, the reason I didn't actually take a picture. But go home and look at your tables because our tables bear the marks of memories. And a few weeks ago, we were in a prayer meeting on Tuesday morning, which is something we do every week with the pastors. Um, It was hosted by two of our amazing ministry specialists, Mike and Kathy Krasta. And we're sitting and we're praying for the church. And I felt like the Father gave me this picture. I saw this huge, long wooden farm table. And I saw all the pastors gathered around it. And everyone was eating and drinking and having so much fun. And Clay was like standing up and being loud like like he likes to do sometimes. And we, we saw this huge spread of food. And I felt like the Father said, and guess what? I made all your favorites. And in this moment, like the father was so pleased with the way that we were doing life together. He was so pleased that we were all at the table, but he cared enough to make it very individual. He cared about my favorite dish and Clay's favorite dish and Julie's favorite dish. So it was was personal, yet it was family. It was individual, yet it was corporate. And I think this picture is so the heart of God for his kids. He loves when his kids gather around the table. You know, family dinners aren't just important to us moms, right, on Mother's Day especially, which I hope that you get to celebrate today with your family around a table. But it really is a beautiful picture of what God has for all of his children, right, that we would learn how to sit down at the table with everyone, that we would learn how to be present, that we would learn that our simply being at the table actually makes a difference in the family, And that we would learn how to love and honor and respect every other person and their presence at the table. But what I find interesting is that while we all long to sit at the table, we all long to be seen, to be uh, loved, and to be known, we don't always want that same inclusion for others. We don't recognize that God's table is actually big enough for everyone. And we think to sit at the table, you have to look a certain way, you have to think a certain way, you have to act a certain way, you got to believe a certain way. 
So we start putting parameters around who actually gets to sit at the table. And today we're going to be talking about how we can live our life in such a way that we would welcome all to the table. And we've been in this awesome series called Wrecked for God, which was, of course, uh, based on Diane's book of the same title. Our founding pastor wrote this. And we've been learning how we can lose our religion and be transformed as we recognize our union with Jesus. That's what we're focusing on. And today, specifically, we're going to talk about how we live in union with Jesus like that, how we do that. We're actually going to learn that we can walk in mercy instead of judgment. We're going to learn that we can walk in compassion and not contempt. And if you're following along in the book, it's chapters 7 and 8 that we're going to be talking through today. But we're going to learn how we live out this verse in Luke 6:36, which says this, show mercy and compassion for others, just as your heavenly Father overflows with mercy and compassion for all. So in union with Jesus, we're going to learn how to make table memories with all people, and we're going to learn how to let go of religion and overflow with mercy. So will you pray with me today? Father, I thank you so much that we just have the privilege of gathering together, whether we're here in the room or we are online, that we are all together and unified in you, Holy Spirit. And we just welcome you today to be our teacher. Show us what it means to let go of mercy, or to, to let go of religion and really begin to love the way you love, to operate with mercy. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen. Well, a couple weeks ago, uh, it was a Saturday night, and my husband Ben and I are like, hey, let's put the kids to bed early and have date night in, right? Favorite thing, kids to bed early. It's a great day when that happens. I got three kids, so great day. And so we decide, great, we're going to, you know, pick out a movie and we're going to pop some popcorn. So Ben, of course, picks the movie because Ben always gets to pick the movie, but he actually does a pretty good job most of the time. And I'm going to make the popcorn. And so I head over to the pantry and I open the doors and I'm, I'm looking for our jar of popcorn. We've got this clear container filled with kernels, you know, the popcorn. Is it where it should be on the shelf? No, it's not. Right? I live with these little people. They're constantly moving my stuff around. That's fine. But I'm looking at the shelves. I'm like, where? where's the popcorn? And now I'm getting a little mad because listen, okay, I have dreams one day of having a ginormous walk-in pantry. That is not my current reality. I've got like five shelves and I should have been able to find it like that. But I'm looking for this jar and I'm like, where's the popcorn? Where's the popcorn? Getting mad. Did someone use all the popcorn and then not put it on the list? You know, like they do. I hate that. If you use something, put it on the list so we can get it when we're at Aldi. This is important people. (laughs) (sighs) No popcorn. Can't find it anyway. I'm fuming. I'm looking for this jar of popcorn. I can't find it. I can't find it. When all of a sudden, I'm like, someone decided to put the kernels in a little plastic baggie. This is my popcorn. This is what I found. Now, that's fine. It would have been fine had I known what I was looking for. But I stood there and I couldn't find what I was looking for because it came in a package I didn't expect it to. Now, listen. The Pharisees had the same problem back in Jesus' day. They were looking for the Savior of the world, but they couldn't find him because he looked a little different than they thought he would. Listen up. All right, the the Pharisees, these are the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They are the religious scholars. They are the ones who knew the law front and back. So they knew the Torah, which if you're not familiar, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. They knew the Torah, and they knew the original Mosaic commands. There were 613 laws of Moses. That's it, just 613, no big deal. They knew them all front and back, and they cared deeply about the Scripture, But they also knew the Mishnah. 
So if you're not familiar with the Mishnah, this is actually the oral tradition of commentary on the original Mosaic law. So when I tell you that these people really cared about the law, they cared about the law. And they made sure that not only did they follow it, but that everybody else followed it. So you've got the 613 original commands, and then they, basically the Mishnah, again, these made up laws, their oral commentary on the original laws, basically constructed a little fence around the law. So if people got close to breaking the law, you couldn't because you're going to break their little fake laws first before you actually break the actual law. So kids they care a lot about the law. Do you hear it? Law, law, law. They deeply cared about the law. Now listen, I do believe that they loved God. I think the Pharisees believed that they were doing the right thing. They believed that the way I love God is by knowing his word and obeying his word and protecting his word and making sure that everybody else does the same. They really cared about keeping people in line. They wanted to make sure that everyone fit into their little religious box. And if they didn't, if they didn't follow the law, they had no room for them in their life. Out. You don't get to hang out with me. Then Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus, Savior of the world, who is actually the fulfillment of the law, but they don't know that yet. The Pharisees couldn't see him for who he was because they, he didn't look like they expected him to look. They thought Jesus was going to be just as excited about their little laws like they were. And then you get this guy. He comes on the scene, Jesus, and he, it almost looks like he's breaking some of their laws. How much do you think they like that? No. Right? So it's like the Sabbath, and Jesus starts healing people, and these Pharisees, these good church people, they say, no, 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 Jesus, we don't heal on the Sabbath. And then the Pharisees, or the, the, the disciples start plucking grain on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees say, no, 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 we don't do that on the Sabbath. And then Jesus is gasp teaching women. And they're like, Rabbi, don't you know, you don't get to hang out with women. You don't get to teach women. No, 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 church people are mad. Then Jesus is hanging out with sinners and tax collectors, and they're not here for it. Church, can I just say that I think we are a little bit like the Pharisees sometimes? Sometimes I think we are so concerned about our scripture, our laws, and then even the man-made laws we church people make up that aren't in there. You know, they're there. We make them up. And we say, you follow these or you have to get out. We're missing Jesus. We think we're doing it right, but we're missing it. He said, you're looking for the wrong thing. You think you're looking for one thing. It kind of looks like this. Show mercy and compassion for others, just as your heavenly Father overflows with mercy and compassion for all. But I'm telling you, Jesus, ooh, he does this so well. I want to read this passage from Diane's book. So if you're listening online and you want to grab your copy, do that. We're going to read this on page 158 here. Here's what it says. Jesus has so much to teach us about walking in love. Whether it was a hated tax collector, a despised woman of the streets, or an ostracized cripple, Jesus embraced each with compassion and care. Not so with the religious guys. They fumed with contempt at such outcasts, and doubly so when they caught Jesus in the act of healing one on the Sabbath or enjoying a party in one's home. God forbid. This was their response as Jesus ate dinner at a notorious cheater's home, and this is found in Matthew 9. Later, when Jesus was eating supper at Matthew's house with his close followers, a lot of disreputable characters came and joined them. When the Pharisees saw him keeping this kind of company, they had a fit, and they lit into Jesus' followers. 
What kind of example is this from your teacher acting cozy with crooks and riffraff? Jesus, overhearing, shot back. Who needs a doctor? The healthy or the sick? Go figure out what this scripture means. I am after mercy, not religion. I am here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. Church, we're looking for the wrong thing. We're looking for popcorn in a pantry and we're missing it. We've been looking for right behavior. We've been looking for religion. But what Jesus is after is mercy. Everyone say mercy. Mercy. If you're in the chat, type mercy. Mercy. So what is mercy? we got to figure this thing out. A lot of times, mercy and grace, those are used interchangeably. Like, oh, grace, mercy, grace, mercy. They're actually two very different things. So grace, by definition, is defined as courteous goodwill. Grace, courteous goodwill. It's freely given. Has, uh, it, it's not asked for. It's not deserved. It's just this freely given courteous goodwill. That is grace. Mercy, on the other hand, is the compassion and kindness shown to someone whom it is in one's power to punish. So it means I got power to punish. You did something wrong. It's actually based on your behavior. I have the power to enforce the punishment, but instead I extend grace and compassion. That is mercy. Do you see the difference? Grace and mercy. So think about how powerful it is when Jesus says, guys, I'm after mercy, not religion. He's saying the best thing you can give me is not your religion. It's not your sacrifice. The best thing you can do for me, you want to honor me? Live with mercy. Live with mercy. Stop worrying about everybody else. Stop fighting. Stop thinking about their behavior and focus on you. Live with mercy. Mom, moms, what is the one thing we want on Mother's Day? It's not a card. It's not, do you know what I actually got? I didn't even tell the first service. My, my youngest brought out a little bag. It was filled with my things. I, they already belonged to me. That was what I got. An old watch, an old makeup brush. I'm like, thank you. Thank you for thinking of me with my things. Not what we want. Just putting it out there. Not what we want. You know what I want? Could you just get along? Honestly, could you just, but really, truly, this is the heart of the Father. He says, could you just get along? Could you just love each other? Could you just see what I see? Moms, we look at our kids, and we are filled with love and compassion, and we love who they are. And when the others can't see it, doesn't it just drive you a little crazy? And the Father is saying, this is what I'm after, mercy, not religion. It's not about following all the rules. I want you to love each other. I want you to extend the grace that I have extended to you. Oh, I just lost my pack. I got too excited. I'm sorry. Oh, Christina's going to be mad because my ears are popping off. Are we back? Is that good? Okay, fantastic. I'm just going to throw this right in here. Sorry. <laughs> I'll keep it a check. Okay. <laughs> Listen, it's exciting stuff. This isn't exciting. Can you hear me, Christina? Is that on? Okay. I'm really sorry. Whew. Hey, it's better to get excited than to be boring. Let's come. Holy Spirit, come. He's going to fix. Oh, she's going to come fix me now. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, so you guys know the difference between mercy and grace, right? This is a mercy moment. Listen, you have the power to, for punishment because I did something wrong, but she's not going to do that. She's going to extend mercy. Maybe. <laughs> Sorry. Is that tied in there? Yeah, sure. I think it's good. We good? Okay, come Holy Spirit. Okay, mercy moment. All right. <laughs> so Jesus is asking for mercy, 
not religion. He's after mercy. Show compassion and mercy for others, just as your heavenly Father overflows with mercy and compassion for all. That's what he's after. So I want you to think about this. Maybe you host a dinner party at your house. This is one of my favorite things to do pre-COVID. I don't know if we remember how to host these anymore. (laughs) My favorite thing to do is like fire up the grill. I don't grill. I get the food ready. My husband grills. But throw some steaks on, invite the neighbors over. It is my favorite thing to do is to spend time with people and to enjoy each other. And back in the day, there was a man named Simon who hosted such a dinner party. Now, this is all found in Luke chapter 7, so you can go read it this week. But Simon is hosting this dinner party, and what you have to know about Simon is he is one of those Pharisees, those religious leaders that we talked about earlier, right? Simon is very concerned with the law, very concerned with keeping the law, uh, making sure everyone else follows the law, and Simon's like a big deal, big religious guy. So who does he invite to his house? All the other religious people, including our good friend Jesus. Thank goodness he's there because he shakes it up for him. (laughs) Okay, so they invite all these religious leaders over and Jesus decides, yeah, I'm going to go. So he shows up at the party and everyone's milling around. He sees all these men, just men, uh, having conversations and Jesus expects to be greeted with like the customary kiss, but he's not. And he expects to be greeted with like the customary foot washing, right? They, they wore sandals, the roads are really dirty. It's like my nightmare, I hate dirty feet. But he, he's, he comes in, he expects for like his feet to be washed. Doesn't happen. He's like, oh, well, Simon, I mean, we'll work on your hospitality, but okay, that's fine, let's just enjoy our dinner. So all the men are sitting at the table, they're eating, they're drinking, they're being merry, when all of a sudden, in walks her. What's she doing here? I can't believe she's here. She's such trash. This is what they're thinking. What? Who invited her? Who, how did she even get in these doors? The town prostitute is here? Is she, is she here to out me in front of all these religious leaders? What if my wife finds out? This isn't in the scripture. This is what I think they're thinking. Hey, it takes two to tango. You only become a prostitute because other people are paying for you. It's got to be somebody. Go back and read it. It doesn't say that, but that's what I'm thinking. (laughs) She busts through the doors. The men are furious and shocked and surprised. How did she know Jesus was here? She had seen him teaching earlier that day, and she was completely captivated by him. This woman who is seen as trash, who has been rejected by everyone, was not rejected by Jesus. You guys, she just had to see him again. She just had to be with him. So she does the only thing she knows to do. She's at her house and she grabs her alabaster jar. I don't actually know what that is, but this was on my shelf, so I brought it. (laughs) She grabs this thing and she fills it with the most expensive perfume. Because money that she doesn't have to waste. Money that she got by sleeping with these guys. Money that shames her. Money that ruined her reputation. That's what this is. And she fills that jar up and she comes into the house. You think she stands at the door and knocks? Maybe they'll let me in. She's not knocking. She's not, they're not going to invite her to the table. So she says, forget that. She busts through the doors. And we're going to pick up the scripture here of what happens. It says that she kneels down. Everybody's watching this. Imagine the shame she feels in this moment. She's unwanted, right? She knows she's not supposed to be there. She doesn't care. She kneels down, broken and weeping. 
Because it's a real woman. And she's crying. And she looks at Jesus and she covers his feet with her tears. Real tears. And she's crying and she's trying his feet with her hair. And over and over again, she's just kissing him and kissing him and kissing him. She opens her flask and she begins to anoint his feet. She pours it on. This is costly. This is everything she has. But this is her act of worship. And she's doing this while everybody's watching her. Men are disgusted. They're furious. They're so mad she's even there. And scripture tells us what Simon was thinking, not even what he said out loud. This is what he was thinking. It says, when Simon saw what was happening, he thought, first of all, this man cannot be a true prophet, right? Jesus, if you really were a prophet, you'd know what kind of sinful woman is touching you right now, and you're just allowing this, Right? How dare you, rabbi, let a woman touch you. You think you're a prophet. And woman, get out of here. You are not welcome at my table. You are not welcome here. This woman, this prostitute, this is the one Simon does not want at his table. She's the one. And Jesus says, Simon, I have a word for you. And this is where I go, Simon, you're going to get schooled. Listen up. Go ahead, teacher. I want to hear it. He said, it's a story about two men who were deeply in debt. One owed the bank $100,000, and the other only owed $10,000. When it was obvious that neither of them would be able to repay their debts, the kind banker graciously wrote off their debts and forgave them all that they owed. Tell me, Simon, which of the two debtors would be most thankful? Which one would love the banker most? Simon answered, I suppose it would be the one with the greatest debt forgiven. You're right, Jesus said. And then he spoke to, the woman, to Simon about the woman still weeping at his feet. Feel this. This woman is still sitting here crying. He's saying, Simon, look at her. Look. Look at her in the eyes. She has a name. She has a story. She has a history. Look. Look at this woman you don't want in your house. Look at this woman you don't want at your table. He says, don't you see this woman kneeling here? She's doing for me what you didn't bother to do. When I entered your home as a guest, you didn't think about offering me water to wash the dust off my feet. Yet she came into your home and washed my feet with her many tears and dried my feet with her hair. You didn't even welcome me into your home with the customary kiss of greeting, but from the moment I came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't take the time to anoint my head with fragrant oil, but she anointed my head and feet with the finest perfume She has been forgiven all her many sins. This is why she has shown me such extravagant love. But those who assume they have very little to be forgiven will love me very little. Then Jesus said to the woman at his feet, all your sins are forgiven. And the dinner guests think amongst themselves, who is this one who can forgive sins? And Jesus says to the woman, your faith in me has given you life. Now you may leave and walk in the ways of peace. This is mercy. This is mercy. And he invites all the men at the table to participate in this mercy too. Mercy is extending compassion when they could have enforced a punishment. And you know, when you've received this kind of mercy, all you can do is pour it out in praise. When you've been the one on the floor when you've been the one that no one wanted at the table, 
Jesus says, I see you. He looks at you in the eyes. He says, I see you. And he invites everybody to see you. He loves you so much. And religion tells us, can't sit here. That's what religion says. But mercy says, you're welcome at my table. So my question for you today, if you're really being honest with yourself, so be honest, who is it that you would be disgusted by if they busted in on your dinner party? Who is it that God's asking you to grow in love for, to grow in compassion for? Because he looks at them and he invites us to look too. He doesn't just look, he loves when there could have been a punishment enforced, he doesn't do that. He extends mercy and kindness and compassion. So who is it that's hard for you to love? In Jesus' day, it was the leper, right? It was the prostitute. That was hard. Who is it for you today? And let me preface this by saying, sometimes we don't want people at our table because we think they're living in sin, right? They're living a lifestyle that we don't think agrees with what the word says. And so we say, keep your distance. You can't sit here, right? We think that they're breaking God's law. We also create our own little mishnas and we create our own little churchy rules to keep people out of the table. And the father says, uh-uh-uh. We need Holy Spirit's wisdom on this. We need his wisdom. The table is for everyone. So who would you be disgusted by if they busted in? on your dinner party. Is it that guy on Prospect with the sign? Is it that addict in your family? Is it the gay guy at the coffee shop? Is it the Trump supporter? Is it that guy at work that you just can't stand? I've now offended everyone, so it works great. you hidden or blocked on social media? That might be a place to start. Just say, hey, Lord, where could I grow in love? I'm not doing this to poke and pry. I'm doing this so Holy Spirit can reveal to you places where you have actually stepped into religion and not mercy. He's after mercy, not religion. But here's the deal. He's in you. Holy Spirit is in you. We have a union with him that makes this possible. We can't do this on our own. We can't just start loving people and letting that ooze out of us. We have to first have a revelation of that love so that we can extend that love to somebody else. We have been loved so we can love. That's the way it works. You know, Jesus wasn't afraid to sit at a table with people he disagreed with. He wasn't actually worried about catching someone's sin. When we think that, we're like, oh my gosh, if there is, I, might, I might catch it. It doesn't work that way. No, he actually became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. He wasn't worried about catching it. He became it. And he said, and now you get to live differently. You get to live free from this. But he's not afraid of proximity. He actually leans in. He says, you're welcome at my table. We don't have to be afraid of that. We can be in union with him and we can begin to look at people the way that the father looks at people. And we can begin to love people the way that the father loves people. And we can begin to extend mercy. Remember, when punishment could be an option. I'm not saying they did it right. Mercy is saying there could be punishment, but instead, change my heart. Let me see them differently. Let me love the way that you love. The table's big enough for everybody. Are you keeping people out or are you welcoming them? Religion says, can't sit here. You know, well, good old Forrest Gump. 
But mercy says you're welcome at my table. It's for everyone. Listen, I spent most of my childhood, my 20s, maybe even into my 30s, I don't really know, living as a really good Pharisee. I thought I knew the law. I thought the whole important thing, the way I love God the best was knowing the scripture and then the little scriptures I made up that protect the scripture, my Mishnah, and then making sure that I have obeyed all the rules and making sure that everybody else is obeying the rules too. My whole life was committed to keeping people in line. It was a sad little life. Sad little life. Brought no joy, no hope, no nothing. Because it actually put the focus on me and not on Jesus who already paid the price. He's already done it, right? We don't have to do it. We get to receive his good grace. But once you have that revelation, oh, Christ is in me, I don't have to control it. I don't have to make sure everybody else is falling in line. All I have to do, all I have to do is love. Revolutionary. Simple, it is. One thing, love. But it's so hard. We struggle so much. Why? It's the one thing he asked for us. And you guys, God has wrecked my life with this in the best possible way. I am never going back to keeping people in line. I'm not doing that. I am going to commit my life to living as a loving human. And that love is actually going to show the world that I follow Jesus. That's what it looks like. And I'm telling you this. It's not easy, but it's so worth it. I, I live in this neighborhood filled with beautiful men and women who I love with the deepest part of me. These are my good friends. We've built years together. We, we're raising our babies together. My life is so enriched by them. Do they all think like me? No. They're people. The people sitting next to you don't think like you. But I have learned to love Listen, they, they, some are raised in the church, some have left the church, we have Catholics, we have a whole variety of people, but this one friend of mine who I love so much, she has no faith background, was not raised in the church, very simply does not understand anything about the Bible or religion at all. And we've had some of the best discussions, but she texted me the other day, she goes, hey, remind me, Leah, I got a story to tell you. And so we're hanging out with some of the girls, and she goes, oh, that story I got to tell you. She's like, my daughter came home from school the other day. She's in fifth grade. She's like, she was so mad, so angry. I'm like, what? What happened? She said her best friend told her this, and this best friend, she said, she told me, her parents are very religious. Her best friend said, God hates gay people. This is what she tells her friend. So this daughter, with no training in the church, no, no church background, no theology, you know, no, no, nothing at all. Comes home and says, a God who hates people. Uh-uh. I'm not on that train. Forget it. And honestly, guys, if we don't figure this out, we're going to lose an entire generation. I just want to tell you. She did not ask me my thoughts on homosexuality. She did not ask me to read her scriptures about it. She didn't ask any of that. But she did say this. She looked at me. This is my friend. I love her. And she starts crying and she goes, thank you. That's what she said. I'm like, what'd I do? Just thank you for giving my daughter an example of someone to look to who loves Jesus and still loves people. That is what she saw. That is what she saw. You guys, may we be known for our love. We are sometimes so, like, we're known for behavior modification. Like, oh, if only we change your behavior. It's not in there. It's not in the word. We are called to become love. If I am known for nothing else, but I am known for my love, I have won. It says in John, here, let's read this together. John 13, 35, for when you demonstrate the same love I have for you by loving one another, 
everyone will know you're my true followers. These people haven't been to church. They haven't cracked open a Bible. It's none of that. But do they know my love? Yes, they do. So they know Jesus. He is love. And actually, we had a beautiful conversation about theological things. It was pretty incredible. But love is actually the answer to every situation. Love is transformative. It changes you. It helps you become the very best you. You are loved by God. Some of you don't know this. You don't actually, you've not received this kind of love. To know that he loves you not based on your behavior, based on Jesus' behavior. That's the love he has for you, not based on where you've been. He actually sees where people have been, but he can also see where they're going. And compassion is the bridge to get them there. That's how we do it. Love is the bridge. Jesus is also crazy about helping you walk in the ways of peace. And let me say this, because I need to say this. When he said to the woman, walk in the ways of peace, he's saying, do you know what creates chaos in your life? Sin. Sin is when you live in a way that is not God's best for your life. He's saying, here's the perfect way. This is the best way to live. It'll produce the most fruit, the healthiest fruit. You'll have the best life. But when you choose something else, that's called living in sin. He's not mad about you not following the rules. He's saying, you're missing it. Like, there's so much more to do. And you're stuck in this chaos. And he's saying, don't, don't walk in chaos. Walk in the ways of peace. But he does it relationally. He does it by sitting with you at the table. He does it by telling you exactly who he died for you to be. And he reminds you day after day after day, he leans in. He wants us to be changed by this love so that we can extend this kind of love to others. I want you to stand. I want to read this, um, this passage from the end of this book <clears throat> or end of this chapter. Di writes this, she said, a godly friend of mine, a well-known and respected man of faith, had a near-death experience and went to heaven. He watched as, a pers as person after person came face to face with Jesus, face to face. He's looking. And they were warmly embraced by him. Then Jesus asked all of them just one question, only one. He did not ask how many souls they saved, bodies they healed, poor they fed, or hours they prayed, as important as those things are. He did not ask how much money they gave, the number of miracles they performed, or the time they spent in Bible study. Good things for sure, but what was the most important thing to Jesus as people prepared to enter into heaven's kingdom? Face to face with each one. He's looking at you face to face. Face to face with each one made in his image, Jesus asked this one simple question of each one. Did you learn to love? What if the whole purpose of life is to enjoy God and enjoy his creation? What if the whole purpose of, our, of this experience is to learn how to love people the way that the Father loves his people? Would we be willing to let go of religion and say yes to mercy. It's been done to us. We walk in that mercy. Who is he asking you today to look at when you've looked away? When he said, can't sit here. Who's he asking you to invite to your table? It might mean some forgiveness. It'll certainly mean you can only do it in union with the Father. That's the only way we can do this. But Father, right now, would you show us how to lean into this kind of love? 
God, we receive it first from you. It has to be a revelation. So Father, show us what it is we cannot see. Lord, show us how to love the way that you love. Would you begin to open our eyes right now? We want to see every person on this earth as made in your image and of so much worth and value. And Father, we are committed to opening up our tables. We want to make table memories with your kids, and we want you to be so filled with joy as we do that. So we take this time now, and Father, we turn it back into praise. Where we've extended mercy, we pour it out at your feet. We want to honor you, Lord, through our worship. Be blessed as we honor your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the message today. To experience more powerful messages, go to vineyardlive.us or join our Vineyard Live Plus community to view conferences, trainings, and special teachings.